Oh, perfect, dude. Well, on that note, dude, welcome to the Pal Life Podcast. As always, Thanks, I'm Patrick. And, yeah, dude, of course, man. Uh, as I said uh, before we just came on here, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, today we're with Ardo Survival, uh, another Patrick. Um, so it's it's going to be an exciting one, man, especially when you have two, uh, two Patricks in a conversation. Man, you know yeah. it's going to get real here. So um, how you doing, dude? I'm doing pretty well, pretty well. Just enjoying my morning and I uh, get to be on a podcast, second podcast ever of all time. And so it's one of the other podcasts I listen to. So it's uh, a dude. pleasure. Well, I've, on that note, for those who don't know, he was uh, recently on uh, Owen Benjamin's stream, um, which was a great conversation. Uh, I can speak for myself, but I feel like I can speak for many others who were listening that I spoke to. It was a great conversation, um, a lot of uh, gravy, a lot of very informative information, um, which we will talk about today and what, what you do, man. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm honored and I feel very uh, humble and uh, admire the, the compliments that you were given on that towards this show and what, uh, what we're trying to over here. So thank you. But uh, on that, man, let's just kind of talk about well, one, what is it you do? What is Ardo's survival? What is this? Because uh, I feel a lot of people who maybe aren't privy to that world uh, might see some uh, some really good benefits from what it is that you're going to bring today. So uh, my business is Ardo's Survival. Um, stands for uh, Academy of Rescue Training and Outdoor Survival. Um I, I cover a lot of a lot of different things, but the kind of the main thing I I like doing is um, I do wilderness survival training and I do uh, emergency medicine with a focus on wilderness medicine, which is actually people don't even realize is a its own discipline in, in emergency care, um, which um, we could talk about for sure too. Um, I also you know I can do urban preparedness and survival training as well. I just I prefer being um, in the woods, and uh, you know, I grew up in the in the concrete jungle, and um, that's why I got the hell out of there because I, I like being in the woods more than I like being in a in an urban environment. So I, that's kind of primarily what I train, and I I try to make it um, real world applicable is the word I like to use. Um, not mm. you know, there's a lot of great instructors out there and stuff, but I wanted to make it a system that can um, be easily used by the by the end user and um by pretty much any skill level so i kind of take like my basic course is um it's like uh everything you would need i i, I say near universal and or almost any situation because there are some specialized scenarios where you need ex special skills and there's a special class for that but this course is designed to be you know pretty much cover everything um and um allow anyone from a novice hiker to like a Navy SEAL be able to use uh, the skills that they learn in that one three-day class to survive a wilderness emergency. No, that's awesome, man. And as you were saying, uh, you prefer the wilderness compared to the urban, but um, is, well, on many things, actually, one, there is definitely an urban type survival situation, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, not even like talking apocalyptic, I'm right. talking like even it's something that came to my mind is, you know, you're somebody in like, again, in New York City or you were in like the, the Bay Area growing up in the Bay Area, yep. you know, somebody, you know, falls like, for example, I'll go to New York Central Park. Like 
could there be stuff that you could do where it's like, yeah, you're waiting for a medic, but you're in the middle of a, you know, you're in the middle of somewhere where it's hard to get to. And I just, I mean, there's ways that people can take uh, initiative and take ownership of like, okay, these are things that I need to do right now. Um, because that's something that I think is so fascinating is how many people don't have that ability to know, like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the most inherent things is learning how to, to survive. And if we, if we can't even figure out, like, okay, dude, how do I write, like, uh, you know, wrap a tourniquet or, like, how do I try to do something to stop the bleeding? Like, so um, are those, like, to maybe now in your beginner's class or somebody who's new to this world, like do you i'm assuming teach like how do you wrap something how do you stop bleeding how do you um you know if you have an open wound how do you attend to it like are those things that get brought up in a class like this so yeah uh i just want to touch on a couple things so yeah my first of all my my basic class is not a beginner's class this is like designed for pretty much anybody and i and i cater it to like i said novices to experts in the field um Mm -hmm. it's um it's called a basic class just because it is foundational and every other class builds off of that. But like pretty much I have experts learning stuff, you know, throughout that whole class. Um, but yeah, so, um, tourniqueting and, um, you know, in that basic class, you get a wilderness first aid cert, which is pretty much a beefed up basic first aid, but it, it, um, emphasizes extended care. The fact that you have, uh, less resources and longer uh, wait times to get to, to a higher level of care, um, as well as improvised care. Um, yeah, uh, you kind of started off on the, the urban kind of, uh, side of things. I, I highly recommend getting a good instructor to teach you CPR, AD and first aid. Um, you know, there are a lot of like, you know, you go to a class, you sign up for a red cross class or whatever, and then they say, Oh, can you wrap this? Okay. Check, check, check. Here's your cert to go to work, you know, like, uh, Mm -hmm because it's required for your job or whatever, but there are some really good instructors out there and I I like to teach it. Um, You can definitely learn a lot um, just in those classes and what you can do if you're waiting on a um, EMT or paramedic, whatever your basic life support, advanced life support. Um, What's cool about first aid now is recently they have pretty much changed all the standard uh, um, methods of stopping severe hemorrhaging to tourniquets. Um, it didn't used to be a thing like EMTs didn't even used to use tourniquets. Um, it was uh, kind of, there's not a lot of information on it. Uh, the one, I would say the one good thing that came out of being in the Middle East for the past 20 or more years is the amount of data we've gotten from um combat casualties and wounds, um, especially hmm. considering hemorrhaging, um, and the, the efficacy of tourniqueting and, um, also the technology we've gotten with new types of tourniquets, um, hemostatic, uh, gauzes and things like that. So now even in your basic, you know, six to eight hour first aid class, that is one of the standard, um, standard things they're teaching is how to use tourniquets, especially with, you know, our, or shooter events and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So really cool. But yeah, you will learn all that stuff also in wilderness first aid um, as well. And you learn a lot more improvised methods of doing things if you didn't have the right gear. But part of my, my course is you want to be prepared and you want to have the right gear. So don't get caught in that situation where you have to. 
So mm-hmm. absolutely. Did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think it for me it's just exciting because um I have my so my my dad is uh he's retired now, but he was uh, in the fire department for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, paramedic, things like that. Not quite right. obviously not the same. But what was cool for me as a kid is I was learning this stuff. You know, I'd go on calls and stuff as a kid. And, uh, you know, you'd see, I mean, I know you've seen quite more than I have. But, you know, I'd show up as a kid and you'd be like, well, that person's dead. Mm-hmm. And you're like, and I, I'm i not supposed to, you know, as a kid, you're not really supposed to be privy to that. But, you know, you go on your calls, you spend time with your dad and you're seeing stuff and you're learning, like, how to take care of it. Or someone's literally dying right in front of you mm-hmm. and i'm like you know and as a kid people are like oh why would you put your kid in that i'm like for me it was you know bonding time with my dad you get to learn and it's a life skill that's like i need to know how to do something in the situation now do i remember every little thing that we did no but it is good to have these things because it gives you a little bit more of a, a breath of fresh air in heightened situations and let's be honest here i'm not going to hit it nail on the head but there's a lot of certain things that are causing a lot of certain people to not be able to have their heart moving or working efficiently you need to at least know how to start that process like you said a simple cpr cpr you know wrapping a tourniquet all these different pieces where people now are sitting there helpless and going i don't know what to do to help my loved one or even myself um and this is just like we said urban situations I'm curious. Oh, wait, go on, please. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, so something I, I missed, I was going to bring up before, but you kind of uh, touched on that as well. One, um, the a lot of the basic first aid and CPR, and they've, they update it periodically, and they've really dialed it in to where um, it's very simple, and it encourages mm-hmm. that lay responder to want to use their skills um you know they they really make it clear how you're very well protected under the you know good samaritan laws and stuff like that but also they've like you know the over time the um patient assessments and stuff have just they've gone it down to just like two or three steps to where it makes it really simple and and you know you don't have to worry about you're not diagnosing anything you're just you see these these signs and and then you do this intervention so they made it really easy to encourage people to do it the other thing, yeah, you kind of talked about, you know, being a kid and seeing, oh, wait, this person's dead and stuff like that. Part of my training and, and what I think is, is important for any kind of medical survival, um, you know, firearms train, pretty much any kind of training when you really get down to it, is um, being able to uh, kind of take a step back and um, take inventory and analyze your situation Um before having any kind of response uh, and and the thing about it is we don't really know how we're going to react to a, a high stress situation or, or something where you're seeing a lot of kind of maybe something kind of gruesome and stuff like that we really don't know how we're going to react i mean you'll talk to like uh, war veterans and stuff like that in their first firefight and they reacted in a way they, they didn't even realize they would. They, they thought they'd just be cool and calm or maybe they thought they were going to freak out and they did the exact opposite or something like that. So knowing those kinds of things and being able to um, realize uh, what's going on and, and act accordingly and, and keep your, your kind of wits about you. Um, and then that's that goes into kind of like leadership. You talked about not knowing what to do you know, if something were to happen in your in your city or whatever, and 
um, waiting for paramedics. Like I, I'm just, you know, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. Well, I, I really like uh, and and um, emphasize teaching my students how to be a leader uh, when it really matters. You don't have to have an EMT certification to take command over a situation. You don't have to um, have some special doctor degree. Um, to be able to do that if you're the one that's trained and you're keeping calm and you're um, Having a command presence in a situation you are in charge until that higher level of care takes over So that's part of the training too is, is being able to like Be like hey, I need you to go do this right now while I take care of this guy And I need you to go call 911 and 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 all that kind of thing and 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 Having that command presence about you. I think is really important and um, so yeah, I, I think uh, that leadership um, is all part of all medical training, all survival training. It's it's something that comes very naturally to some people, and it's something that takes a lot of practice for others. But it is something that you can learn. Um, and, you know, like I said, some people are just going to be better at it, and then some people are just going to have to, well, you know, I got in this situation. It's the first time I've ever seen someone just go down in the middle of the street or in the in the grocery store or you know out you know in the middle of our uh, campsite or whatever wherever you happen to be. And um, I'm the only one with the training, so I didn't ever want to have to be in this situation. But now is my time to step up when it actually counts. So um, that's Absolutely. a huge part of of training, I think, too. Absolutely, man, and. I guess on that note, because I feel there's something in regards to the urban aspect um, that I forgot, but that's okay. It'll come back to me. But in so say you're now, let's talk in the wilderness a little bit here. You're doing your survival stuff. My question, and this is what I had just following your stuff, is in watching and seeing what it is that you talk about. What is what is the most common thing in wilderness situations that people find themselves in? that um put them already at like a uh oh we're in a risk situation or well, like what is what well, i guess what was something you would observe or have found so um are we talk are we talking like what are the mistakes uh, yeah, made yeah, that like, get people into yeah um i would say it 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 generally it starts before you even go out um mm-hmm. you know uh th- i mean there's there's a lot of common mistakes but it it starts you know, with being unprepared or underprepared, um, you know, not um, bringing the right equipment, not researching the area, not knowing, not having a plan, not um, uh, informing people, you know, your timeline, um, when you'll be back, um, where you're going, exactly your routes, um, you know, not bringing the right gear, the right, uh, and I'm talking being underprepared with gear and being improperly prepared with gear. So bringing the, the wrong stuff for the given activity that you may be doing, um, as well as, um, you know, not knowing your, your wildlife and your weather and things mm-hmm. like that. And then when you start getting into like, okay, I'm already there. Um, it's, uh, we, I talk a lot about, uh, something called disaster synergy, so, you know, synergy is basically two or more things combining to create an enhanced effect, right? So this would be synergy, but applying to, you know, uh, basically things that um, contribute to an emergency. So like an example of that would be like, okay, it got dark 
uh, mm. sooner than you thought it was going to get, and you didn't make it as far along the trail, and you can't see because you didn't bring a headlamp, and then maybe you tried to take a shortcut because you thought you'd get back quicker, and then you tripped and fell down the side of a hill, and then you broke a bunch of ribs, and you lost all your all your gear to make fire and water with. So it's basically a snowball effect of all these things piling up, mm. and it happens so commonly. I mean, there's so many case studies of people you know, making the wrong choice, acting under, uh, you know, tunnel vision and, and high adrenaline without taking a step back, like I was talking about earlier and, and analyzing the situation and, um, basically getting themselves into a lot worse of a situation than if they had analyzed it, maybe stayed put and, 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 you know, acted properly. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and, and so, the underpreparedness is huge. One thing that I've always seen, uh, just reading, you know, reading the news in regards to that stuff, I, I really don't know how graveled it can get, but you know, I, I always have read stories and, uh, even know people who, uh, dehydration is a big one. Yeah. Like people who don't like, it's so hot out. And then they, like you said, they get lost in the trail. I mean, obviously you said preparedness, they don't yeah. really know the trail. They're just kind of going with the flow. Yep. But uh, is that something that you've seen a lot of? Just people dehydration who- is such a big one. Uh, one thing is, you know, being a wildland firefighter, that is like one of the number one things is like the EMT on my engine that I, I would see. You know, especially on like, you know, we had we were pretty our our modules pretty good about making sure everyone's hydrating throughout the day. Sometimes you know you get, um, you know, a lot of high stress situations in your in your leaders leadership on some of your you know crews or your or your engines or whatever you know maybe uh you know forget to check up on people and, and some people like to push themselves and 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 you know without um taking into consideration their wellness and their health and stuff like that and um don't drink enough water so we, we would see a lot of that um and that's just a common thing you know across the board too is um not bringing enough water and not bringing water treatment capabilities um mm-hmm. because really you should be prepared to stay the night even if you're going for you know a four-hour hike or something like that you should always be prepared that doesn't mean you have to bring your your you know 60 liter backpack with your tent and your and your sleeping bag but you should have the ability to to camp out if you need to and and that that comes to another thing is um one thing i didn't mention that is a common uh, mistake is not not having training um you know you have people that have been out for Oh, for you know, years since they were kids hunting and stuff, but that doesn't mean they know how to survive. They know how to hunt, mm-hmm. or they know how to climb, or they know how to backpack, but they don't know how to survive. So, so, um, so yeah, dehydration is a big one. You see it all the time. Um, it's it's you know, depending on your on where you're at, it's you know, it you know, even in in cold environments, hydration is uh, key in preventing even hypothermia. Um, proper hydration and, and hyperthermia, which is, you know, heat stroke, heat exhaustion and things like that. So, so I'm always curious if, uh, kind of now creating a scenario here, uh, if you're somebody who is like in like California, who's doing a hike and there is a lack of hydration, uh, cause you, you didn't bring enough water, you, whatever the case is, what are some uh, suggestions or techniques or things that people could, in those situations, because that always fascinates me. I'm like, how, how do we go about something like that? Uh, treating water and sourcing water. 
Yeah. So there's a lot of methods that you can source water. Um, there's also different ways of treating water. Uh, probably the number one thing, you know, in California, there's water. Um, it just depends. It depends where you are. There are some places that do have like a severe lack of water. Um, mm. But um, the the number one thing is you, you want to get to high ground. If you if you don't know where a water source is, you want to get to high ground, and you'll see what are called riparian zones or green belts. Um, so surrounding streams and 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 lakes and ponds and other kinds of pools. Um, basically, you know, streams run in lines and pools are in circles, and you're going to see green areas around those uh, those waterways uh, that have more vegetation they're more green and so you'll actually be able to see from high ground where those waterways are based on that um, mm -hmm. that vegetation around it you're also going to want to look and see what, what are the animals doing you know what are the bugs doing um, they require water too just like we do so totally, uh, dude. you know look in those kind of places then there's uh, even things like seep springs, seeps or seep springs, they call them. So it's basically springs out of the side of a hill or something like that. You're going to see the same type of thing. Uh, 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 it's going to be smaller, but like maybe like a six, eight foot green area around where water is coming right out of that, mm. that hill or that rock. Um, obviously, uh, you want to make sure there's no, you know, death or feces in that seep spring before you drink from it but you can generally drink straight from those um mm. and then there's other things like if you're in the desert or you're in uh you know um somewhere where you don't have a lot of water there's you know solar distillation um transpiration which is basically putting an occlusive uh container around uh uh which you know doesn't Inclusive is just air and water doesn't pass through around around some vegetation and, and collect the condensation that comes off of that different ways of doing it and then as far as treatment goes our number one way of treating things uh, is boiling um, takes longer uh, you need something to boil in I always recommend you carry a single walled uh, steel canteen um, I you know like a clean canteen or something like that if you take a hydro flask it's not gonna boil those are insulated so you're just not you're not gonna have any luck with that so I always recommend yeah you can have one of each you know one to keep your coffee hot and you know your ice drinks and stuff and then one one for you know uh for business um so boiling it does take longer generally in a wilderness setting we're not so worried about uh you know things like chemicals and and viruses um so you know filtration that filters just mainly bacteria and and protozoa like giardia or cryptosporidium and stuff are going to be adequate it isn't until you start getting into agricultural, you know, rural and uh, urban areas where you have to start worrying about chemicals and those kind of contaminants. But um, generally, you know, a good water filter. Um, I'm going to give your audience the uh, give you guys the down low on, on what I use. It's a, it's, a, it's called a Sawyer Mini filter. Um, it's just hmm. it's like this big. It has like a hundred thousand gallon lifespan. Um, it is. Uh, you can fill a bag and then squeeze through it. You can put a straw on it and it works like a life straw. You can put it in line with your camelback. Um, it screws onto any standard soda bottle. So if you didn't have a container, you could 
fill up, a, you know, find us people litter all the time on the trail. You grab a soda bottle and you fill that up and you screw your filter on there. It's got just a much longer lifespan than pretty much any other filter. Filters all your all your essential things. And if you really wanted to do the virus and chemical filtration, they have an attachment that's like a foam bottle that um, filters all that stuff too. But um, wow. you know, it's real small. It's a good good way to go. And then there's also chemical filtration. Um, you know, they always recommend. Uh, chemical chemically treat and then filter or boil um you know 99 percent of the time in the wilderness just that sawyer filter is just fine um and i don't like the chemical taste and stuff like that the filter will help a little bit with that but um good to have is good to have backups of pretty much everything you have but um the the filter is uh, and there's other, other great filters too but the filters are um you know generally pretty much good in the wilderness it does is until you get in a kind of more contaminated environments where you have to start worrying about you know multiple types of treatment for for it but the the officially the definitive way of treatment is boil absolutely and and, and the reason why i bring up the dehydration of water so much obviously you know you listen to the show those who listen we're always talking about the importance of water and things like that yeah. and i'm gonna go on the limb here and say that well rather let me ask would you say that people who find themselves in these, oh my gosh, I'm in a survival situation, at least knowing they have the essential ability to like, I can have water. Like I feel confident that I can get water to some capacity helps people feel a little bit more. Okay. I at least have one of my basic survival necessities at my hand at disposal is you said as simple as having something like what you recommended yeah i mean definitely like knowing that that's there for you is going to be a big morale booster a big uh you know comfort out there uh i would say you know like even if you didn't have filtration you know you can still technically drink and if you know you will get you know you you this it's not a guarantee you're going to get sick if you drink for one um People think, you know, no matter what, you're going to get sick. No, you have to have, you have to get some of that bacteria, one of those clusters of, of single-celled organisms. Um, but just, you know, having that there, even if, like, you know, maybe, you know, you get kind of sick later, is just is going to be a big comfort, especially if you have, like, running water. That's probably going to be just a, a huge comfort. I think one of the misconceptions is about food. Um, a lot of survival people already know, you know, the rule of threes, but that's basically... Um, we added this one at the, the school I used to work for, but it was three seconds to respond to a threat, uh, three minutes without air, three minutes or three hours without shelter, three days without water and three weeks without food. So you can actually go very, very long. And anyone who's fasted knows you can go pretty, pretty long without food. Um, but a lot of people are just so used to eating so much throughout the Mm -hmm. day where that's going to be one of your big ones. I think that's that's going to be really difficult for most people when you're out there. You know, having water is, is definitely going to be a comfort. But, man, having food is uh, an or Sorry. A lack of food is, is what really tears people down, even in, in, you know, field exercises that we do. You know, people, you know, you might eat one substantial meal, which, you know, maybe three, 500 calories, you know, which is a lot less than most people eat in, in mm-hmm. day-to-day life. You know, that's maybe one, two, three times, three in a week, maybe, if you're lucky, if you if you don't have too many people and scare off all the animals. So um, that's what gets people, I think, the most is, is lack of food. But, but water's, water is, is a, a more critical life 
uh, vital need for life, um, you know, in any situation. So having that, uh, people should be, be comforted in, in having that available to them. It's Isn't that so wild, dude? It's like most of us, again, we're so disconnected from myself included. I'm not saying I'm yeah. different, but yeah. the survival ability to know like the thing that is I guess the least important in a survival situation yeah. is food. And this is like, you know, what we see in even cities, like people will loot and raid because they don't have like, they don't have enough food, enough food. And, and you realize it's like, have you even thought of water? Have you even thought about threat? It's like, how yeah. can I think about threat when I don't have the scones I like? You're like, yeah. holy moly. And it's always man. like Cheetos and Ho-Ho's. It's Dude. never like, yeah. <laughs> it's never it's, like the yeah. good stuff, you know? Yeah, there's, it's, it's great. It's, that one is always crazy to me because yeah. people are like, Dude, where are we going to get food? I'm like, even when I was in New York, I'm like, you're thinking about food. I'm th like, I'm thinking about somebody who's thinking about knowing like, this is my time to just destroy everyone. I'm like, those are the people I'm thinking about. Like you said, three seconds for a threat. Now we're talking urban, but even in the wilderness, like, you know, you go through, People are, I don't know, this is just my mind. People are thinking about, I'm assuming in many places, like, oh, I'm worried about a bear. I'm, and obviously, yes, those are all real things. But I'm like, there are a lot smaller animals or things that are a lot quicker. In you know, no bears are quick. But, like, things that can move that I'm like are much more of a threat than a bear, like, realistically. I don't right. know. Maybe I'm wrong. No, bears are, are bear attacks are, are pretty rare. When it comes down to it, dude, because we bears, we're we're just you know we're, yeah. we're humble, we're man. We just we're sweeties, man. We just we just <laughs> want a little bit. We want a little bit of the honey, and uh, we'll be on our way. We'll leave yeah. you a little bit of gravy, and then you know, maybe hey, maybe, dude, maybe we'll leave a super chat. I don't know. That's true. That's true. You know, you might get a little tip for leaving that honey. So. <laughs> well, yeah. what what is what what would you say is a common uh, if you're talking about animal attacks? Going through the the rules of three here, because now I'm just curious about this. What's uh, what's like a common threat that you, in your field of experience uh, being out there? Um, okay, just to, just to preface this, the rules uh, the rules of threes. The rule of threes or the rules of threes is not rules. They're guidelines, but it just sounds better than saying, you know, uh, sort of accurate guidelines of threes. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's going to be give or take, you know, obviously a threat. It could be like milliseconds, you know, right. but, um, uh, you know, and even like water and food, it could be less time or it could be more time depending on your, your health and your physical fitness and, and all kinds of different things. But, um, yeah, for, for animal threats, uh, in the wilderness, I mean, like I said, it's going to take you a little bit of, um, of research depending on what area you're going in. You know, if you have, um, in, in America, for example, or, or really all of North America, there's two types of snakes that are, that are venomous. Mm -hmm. There's elapidids, which is the only one we have is coral snakes, which is kind of closer to what they have in Australia. Um, they have elapidids out there, um, and and then they ha and then we have pit vipers. So those are your rattlesnakes, those are your copperheads, those are your cottonmouths, um, and they're very rarely fatal um, for the most part. You know, especially with our, our uh, level of, of emergency medical care um, and um, you would do, you do want to know the differences and what you have in your in your area. There are some that are more deadly than others. You know, you, um, for for uh, the most part, the pit vipers have what's called a hemotoxin, which affects the blood blood toxin, right? Um, 
And then um, uh, the elapidids, the coral snakes, have more of what's called a neurotoxin. Um, so it affects the nervous system. So that's where you start going, having like paralysis and comas and all these kind of things. Uh, there are rattlesnakes, excuse me, in the desert of Southern California called the Mojave Green. And it's a rattlesnake, but it has a hemotoxin and a neurotoxin as well. So there's oh, just you wanting to know these types of things um, before you go out now. If you're going to Australia for the first time, you're going to want to look up what kind of deadly animals there are. And we know, like, you, you see an animal plant, they have, like, seven out of ten of the most deadly snakes or whatever. So you're going to want to, you're going to, want to look that kind of stuff up. Um, so um, in that kind of sense, you know, rattles, like, snakes aren't going to be a, a huge um, killer necessarily, but they do, they do bite people. And especially when you encroach on their territory or, or in their pathways and stuff, and it's usually self-defense, right? Um, that's one, you know, it's, it's one you have to promptly take care of, but they are rarely fatal, um, where we live. Um, then there's things like, you know, mountain lions, probably to me, uh, they're one of the scarier ones because they are stalking predators. They, if they don't want to be known, generally they're not going to be known. Um, you will see those videos of like the hiker backing up and the and the mountain lions, you know, come coming on top of him and stuff like that. So that that does happen, but uh, generally it's it's like an ambush, um, and they cover a ton of ground. So you know, and I'm talking about like in the you know 100 or 150 square miles for a, a male. Uh, so you know, a lot of a lot of um, ground. So you may not even suspect there's one on you until it's literally on you. Um, yeah, that's why, you know, you, you definitely want to keep, uh, head on a swivel, um, be looking around, you know, sometimes they will give themselves away, but you're, you know, you're always looking around, always keeping situational awareness. Uh, that's one of the big things I teach and one of the common ways to prevent, um, not just animal attacks, but all kinds of wilderness emergencies. It's just being situationally aware and, and, and we train for that too. But, um, I, I, this is alleged. I can't. I can't confirm this, but supposedly having your head on a swivel um, can deter them because maybe they see a flash of an eye or something like that. They go, ah, maybe I got spotted. This isn't worth it. I'm going to go find something else. I've heard yeah. that that works. Can't confirm it. Um, you know, it's a mountain lion. It's not going to tell you. It's not going to talk to you and say, yeah, I almost had you, but you you looked at me and or you looked my way and I saw that eye flash. But so oh, there's it's, it's really comes down to research for, for animal animals in your area. Um, and so uh, having having uh, knowledge of that, you know, then the thing that scares me, I think the most is is bugs. <laughs> if I can't see it, I can see most things. I can see bears, you know, um, but like man spiders crawling with me crawling all over me and stuff in the or a snake being uh, you know n next to a rock and blending in and i can't see it like those are the things that creep me out a little bit more um, mm -hmm. but that's just me some people are more afraid of the big furry uh, bears you know thanks for checking out our free preview of the podcast if you want to listen to the rest of this episode and many others like it become a member at thepatlife.org